Today we start a brand new series entitled Jesus Unfiltered. And what we're going to do for the next number of weeks here is we're going to journey together with Jesus in times when he was around a dinner table and what he did and what he said around that table is unfiltered. It is displaying the heart of God. And some of it is raw and some of it is real. Some of it was challenging. Some of it is going to be encouraging. It's all of the above. And my guess is that we know what this is like too. You know, at our small group, uh, we always begin with food. You know, we eat really well around here. And I don't know if you've discovered that um, there's something that happens in that environment where you're sharing a meal with people where there's laughter and there's connection and there's communication. And the same thing was true 2,000 years ago. And as Jesus sat around some tables, he revealed some things about God that many times confronted some of the common cultural ideas, some of the myths that there were about God and what it was like to know the God of the Bible. So let's jump into one of those stories. This is in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in this gospel throughout this whole series here. And let's begin where this starts. After this, he, he is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi has another name. His other name is Matthew, and he wrote the first gospel that we have in the New Testament. But on this day, he's not writing a gospel. He is a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he, Jesus said to him, Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, you may know this already, but back in the first century, tax collectors were not exactly viewed very positively. Now, in our day, when I say the letters IRS, I don't think it conjures up a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings for us either. But this was on a whole different level. And I know we have a lot of IRS people around here as a big IRS place here. And I've said this before. If my name ever comes across your desk, please let me know so we can just work things out at a time. Right? But it's a little bit scary. But this is a whole different level. And here's something that I want to start with. And we're going to look at some of these details. If you have ever put yourself in the category of somebody who is off limits to God, God's love, God's best, God's direction, God's work, God's favor, this is your story. And let me just tell you in advance, if you put yourself in an off limits category, you're wrong. And you're going to see Jesus show up in a way here and even intentionally reach out to somebody who for everybody else was despised. Jesus values people that others despise. Have you put yourself in that category? So let's break down some details here and show how this works. Some tax collector facts. And here's some things that, you know, I got in preparation for this. The Roman Empire is large and in charge, and they've conquered this part of the world. And putting together Roman legions and paying for them is an expensive business. So how do you pay for that? Well, you levy taxes on the people that you have conquered. And so the Roman Empire would sell these franchises of tax collecting to the regions, and they would hire people from within that culture. And so Rome got a percentage as their cut. You give us what, you know, we'll tell you you need to send to us. And then in addition to that, you can add a profit margin on top of that. And that's for you. 
And any amount that you want to put there, you just keep that. And they could stop anyone at any time for a tax inspection. You know, we think, man, it's bad enough April 15th rolls around. Imagine being able to be taxed at the drop of a hat. And what kind of taxes would they charge? A poll tax, a letter tax, a market tax, an export tax, a land tax, an income tax, and a ground tax. And if that wasn't enough, that's just on your home and your dwelling. Upon leaving home, you're charged a wheel tax, axle tax, road tax, card tax, border tax, and bridge tax. So imagine, just for a moment, right, put this in our context. Imagine you're leaving here after the service. You're heading over to get on to Skyline. And, oh, tax check, pull it over. And how many people you got in the car? All right, three people, all right, per person, that's this much. You got gasoline in the vehicle? Okay, yeah, there's a gas tax. And you got two axles. Yeah. Do you have any uh, snacks in the, in the car? Yeah, okay, that's a food tax. Imagine that happening whenever and wherever anybody wanted to do it. And that's what life was like. And it's your own people extorting that out of you. And by the way, if you couldn't pay the tax, out of the kindness of their heart, um, sarcasm intended, tax collectors became loan sharks charging 50% interest or more. Wasn't that nice of them? So you can imagine a little bit of what category they were in. That led them to be banned from the synagogue. The synagogue would be like our church service. They couldn't go. Why not? There are some writings from this time that say they were so bad, they had done so much, they had done too much, that they were off limits from God. They were irredeemable. They could never, ever belong to God because of who they were and what they did. They were banned from the temple. And even within the whole tax collecting culture, there were different levels of tax collectors. There was a Gabii that was a general tax collector. This is the person who would, you know, levy your income tax and the property tax that you have. If you're familiar with the name Zacchaeus, who shows up later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19, he was one of these. How do we know? Because he employed a lot of other people, and that's what Gabii did. And then there were the Mocus, my new favorite word within the last couple words, mocus. They were the day-to-day -day tax collectors, and so they would, you know, levy a lot of the other things. And even within that, there was a great mocus. This is somebody who employed other people, and so he probably sat in an office and had a whole bunch of people out there collecting taxes, and he got his cut, and then the rest went to Rome. And then the lowest of the low was a little mocus. And this is somebody who just worked for themselves and sat at their booth and extorted some of the nitpicky taxes out of the people that were part of their own country, part of their own culture. And do you know who Levi is, who Matthew is? He's a little mocus. And that is the worst of the worst. In fact, within that cultural structure of that day, they were just a little bit lower, the little mocus, than the prostitutes of that day. And so big change from, you know, our day and the IRS. Levi is the worst of the worst. Is it a coincidence that Jesus, at this initial statement of really declaring who is he and what's he about, would reach all the way to the bottom of the cultural strata? A little bit earlier in the very same chapter of Luke chapter 5, there's a leper that comes to Jesus. And the leper kneels down in front of him and says, if you are willing, you can heal me, which is an amazing statement. You don't have to do anything. You have the power. You just have to will it, and it will happen. 
And Jesus says, I am willing. Be healed. And then you know what Jesus does? He doesn't have to do it. He reaches out and touches him. And we don't know a lot about that dynamic in our day, but what the leper did was illegal. And when Jesus touched him, it was illegal. He didn't have to do it. But sometimes Jesus does things to blow up our categories of what it means to know the God of the Bible. And on this day, he calls the worst of the worst a guy named Levi. How do we know he was a little mocus? After this, he went out and saw a tax collector sitting at the tax booth. He works for himself. One translation says sitting at his tax booth. That's who Jesus calls on this day. And after this, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So now he's going to throw a feast. This is going to be time around the table for Jesus. And who is there? Well, who hangs out with tax collectors? Other tax collectors. And maybe there were some prostitutes there because on the social strata, they're pretty close. Reclining at the table with them. Can you picture Jesus in an environment like that? Have you ever wondered if Jesus ever heard an off-color joke and how he responded? Have you ever wondered, you know, what he did or said or his facial reaction in response to something that was just way off from, you know, the direction of God? And in that culture, to eat with somebody implied we have a relationship, we matter, we're close, we're friends. And here's the second part that we need to understand about what Jesus is doing here. He befriended people that others ostracized because nobody else would hang out with tax collectors except for other tax collectors. But did you notice this detail that's in here? It's at his house. There's a large company. So we know that Levi is a wealthy guy. He's done really well at what he does. He's a good tax collector. And there's a large group that is there with them. And I don't know what your ideas about what meals were like back then. You know, it seems like it was pretty rustic. They ate with their hands and maybe it was a real short amount of time. And in the last couple of weeks, I've come to realize that's not true at all. So let me introduce you to Daniel Rogoff. And really it's his research here that's going to give us some details. He was a food and wine critic for the Jerusalem Post and also for the Gourmet Magazine. And he split his time between New York City and Jerusalem over in Israel. And he asked this question, well, what were those feasts like back in those days? What were people doing? How long did they last? What was the nature of all of those? Here's some of the details um, that he shares. First century feasts in Israel, 10 hours long or longer. This is longer than Thanksgiving dinner. Okay, the cowboy game is over, you know, and you've loosened your sweatpants, you know, after too many pieces of pie, and this went for a long time. And there was the first course, and there was a small bird, like a pigeon or a quail or something like that. There was entertainment intermission. People came in, they were juggling, and they were singing, and they were dancing, and they were acrobats. And then there was a second course in soup and appetizers. Then came wine. Then came the actual formal dinner. And then there was a symposium. What's that? A first century version of a TED Talk. Somebody came in, and they would 
speak on something and it had to be really good and entertaining to keep people's attention because you know the eyelids are getting really droopy now. And what are they eating at this meal? If you know anything about the Old Testament dietary laws, things like pork were off limits and shellfish, but they ate it here. And you know why? Because nobody cared. Because the people who were sitting around this table, they were irredeemable. Didn't matter what they ate and there's nobody really there to restrict us in any way. And imagine what the conversation was like over the course of 10 hours. Hey, how's business? Well, I had trouble with Frank. Wouldn't pay his taxes. Got a couple guys from Jersey to come bust some kneecaps up. Yeah, I've had trouble with Frank too. Yeah, he's a real troublemaker, that guy. And there's Jesus sitting in the crowd of that conversation around that table. And what's interesting is it tells us that when Jesus saw a tax collector named Matthew, the word saw has the idea of to notice or to gaze intently. So here's Jesus walking up to a guy who's the lowest of the low, and it says that he saw him. Just kind of stopped and looked at him. It's kind of like what I did today when people walk in here with a San Francisco 49er jersey on. You know, we're going to get steamrolled by the Cowboys tonight. But here he is looking at a guy who is off limits from God. And then he says those words, come and follow me. And Matthew gets up and leaves everything. Why would he do that? Because in those days to be invited by a rabbi was an opportunity you had earlier in life. Would be like our equivalent of getting into Harvard and a seminary combined. And the people who weren't already rabbis had been passed over. And so here came a rabbi to somebody who's on the lowest level and saying, come and follow me. And Matthew says, I'm taking it. I'm taking this opportunity. And then there's some people that I know and I'm gonna invite them to meet someone who has treated me in a way maybe that nobody else has treated me. And the dynamics about around that table, unusual. And in the middle of that shows up the fun police. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because eating and drinking implies we have a relationship. We're friends, they matter to me. Why would you do that? Jesus, you claim to be from God and you would hang out with people like this? That makes no sense whatsoever. What is the Pharisees' concern? If you know anything about the life and times of Jesus and the stories that come with it, you don't wanna be a Pharisee because Jesus went after them pretty hard. So it really begs the question, what was their concern? And to put it simply, their concern was contamination. That if there is sin, it's almost like there's a sin germ. And if you're around it, you can catch the sin disease. And so you need to eradicate the sin germ. And these people are sinning. So Jesus, why would you be in that environment? You're going to catch the sin germ. And by the way, let me ask you a question. Do you know what the most germ-filled item is in your home? Anybody have any thoughts about what that might be? Cell phone, no. Doorknob, no. Toilet, no. Uh, 
stop talking. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> it is, believe it or not, kitchen dish towels. And many of them have, uh, 85% of them have some of the worst germs that you can have. Use paper towels, people. The Pharisees' concern was contamination. And here's why that's important. And again, Pharisees, they're the bad guys. Jesus is a good guy, and we don't want to be a Pharisee. But let me surprise you a little bit. With a positive motivation to the Pharisees, they wanted to see the promised Messiah come into this world. And here's what they taught. The Messiah will come to Israel when the whole nation cleans itself up. So they went around telling people, stop it, stop it. Stop eating that food, stop doing what you're doing, stop collecting the taxes from those people like you are because you're hurting all of us, you're making it worse for all of us. The motivation was good. But they had a strategy to eradicate all the sin germs. Jesus begins with a different strategy, a relationship and the belief that in the connection between real people and the God made flesh, Jesus, that people would change. And the transformation wouldn't come from the outside in, but instead from the inside out, born out of belief in a relationship with the God who has come to their rescue. Because if it's all up to me to get things right, and to keep holiness in check. It's what Tim Keller says, religion creates a fragile holiness. What if I have a bad day? Where does that leave me? I don't know if it's up to you. But what if instead God has come to change us? What does Jesus say in response to the Pharisees? Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And on this day, Jesus draws a pretty wide circle, a circle into which he went into the home of somebody who was far from God. Why? Because Jesus was saying anything goes. No, he's not saying that at all. But he's saying everyone matters. And there were times that Jesus drew some lines and he called some people to himself and called them away from their life of sin. Jesus had no problem calling sin, sin. So sometimes he did draw lines. Many times he drew circles and invited people into it. Sometimes he entered their circle. And the strategy of stop it and eradicate the sin germs, Jesus has a different strategy. Relationship is where it begins and an encounter with the Jesus of the Bible. Not because anything goes, but because everyone matters. And this helps us understand that Jesus empowers people that others judge. And as they go on, the Pharisees say to him, well, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. In other words, we're not having any fun. Why are you having fun? But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make the wedding guests? That can also be translated friends fast while the bridegroom is with them. That's what Jesus is saying. Inside of his circle, you're a welcome guest. He invites you in as a friend. Even to a little mocus who has been put in the irredeemable category, yep, and everybody else. And Jesus is the bridegroom 
and invites people into his circle. So if I follow Jesus, what does this mean for us? First, I can rest in Jesus' welcome of me. Who is in that category of, you know, sinners? That's everybody. That's the people who thought they had their own holiness going on. It's the person who thinks they're off limits and everybody else. I'm welcome because the bridegroom came and says I'm a welcome guest. I can rest in that. It's not up to me. Jesus threw the doors open to a relationship. And then secondly, I need to treat others the same way. So what does that mean for us? What do we actually do with that? Let me give you a couple suggestions. First, when was the last time that you literally had somebody around your table? That was somebody maybe far from God. And what can sometimes happen in this environment of a church is that we hang out with church people and all we do is church and there's no room for other people in our circle. And maybe we need to enlarge that circle a little bit because Jesus did. And corporately, what does this mean? In our church, Washington Heights, if you've been around here for a while, you know that through this year, we've been growing. We've been growing in a lot of places. And even right now in this room, right, our circle is kind of full. (laughs) And so we've talked about this before and more details are coming in November, but you know what? We're looking at, at an expansion. Why? Because the heart of God that Jesus put on full display about making circles wide enough to include other people. If our circle is full, we need to expand it because that is the heart of God. Because everyone matters to him. And when people encounter the Jesus of the Bible, things change, everything changes. And I wonder if there's one more opportunity for us to make this real this coming week. You have not locked eyes with anyone who does not matter to God. Not one. And so when you get up to go to work tomorrow morning and you go into the office or wherever you go, everyone here matters to God. Everyone. When you are in your community and you see your neighbors, everyone matters to God. Your your kids game or at their school event, everyone there matters to God. You have never locked eyes with someone who does not matter to God. And God draws some lines and God draws some circles. And what if we invited some people in to that circle? Or maybe even entered theirs. Why? Because that's the heart that Jesus put on display. Not because anything goes, but because everyone matters. Would you bow your heads together with me as I pray? So Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for your heart. And God, forgive us for the times when we create our own categories of who's in, who's out, and what's right and what's wrong, and we base it on our own ideas instead of looking to you. So may we see today and through this time the heart of God unfold display. 
And God, help us to make it real in the lives that we live. And thank you for so much love and grace along the way. Help us to respond to whatever it is you have for us. And God, through this week, would you help us each single day to realize that everyone we see matters to you. And we ask and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.